Welcome to the 118th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the past week's college basketball action and discuss NCAA basketball title contenders. So let's jump right into this college basketball-focused podcast with a look back at all the college basketball action, or at least the most important action, from the last week, starting with the big upsets, Patrick. Alabama beat number four Baylor 87-78. to uh, This one seems like it's a huge upset if you just look at the rankings, as one, as Alabama obviously being unranked and then Baylor being number four. But reality, the way Baylor's been playing recently and the injuries they have and how good Alabama is for an unranked team, probably easily the best unranked team there is. Uh, not, not, I think they've actually been ranked every week except for last week. Uh, but it's not that big of an upset when you actually look at the optics of it. And I don't think actually in terms of the odds of the game, it was actually supposed to be that big of an upset if Alabama won. Uh, but they did win in pretty commanding fashion and honestly a little bit surprising. Uh, I thought Baylor would, I mean, it, it was generally a close game, but honestly not as close as I thought it would be. I thought it would be more of a uh, back and forth lead change type of game, but it was more of just Alabama had the lead and Baylor kind of trimmed it down a few times. But uh, good win by Alabama. They have a lot of losses, but they have a lot of quality wins. They now have wins over, I think, three top five teams this year. They beat Baylor, they beat Gonzaga, and I think there's one other team that I'm forgetting about that they also beat. Um, and they also have a quality win over LSU, too. Uh, but moving on from that, more action in the Big 12 SEC Challenge on Saturday. Number 12, Kentucky beat number 5, Kansas, 80-62 to on the road. Uh, Kansas had won, I believe, 19 home games in a row. Uh, before this game, and it had I, I I can't even remember who beat them last. I think it was last year with the actually their arena wasn't empty, but most arenas were, but theirs wasn't. But um, one of those limited capacity games that they had back then. Um, and then uh, I mean, look, Kentucky is is the real deal. I think Kentucky and Kansas. I don't think I don't think Kansas is. Uh, I don't think if they played this game a hundred more times, this score would come out another time. I think this is probably the farthest margin you could see for Kentucky winning this game. I don't think they could beat Kansas by 20 if they played again tomorrow. Uh, but overall, though, still, well, for other reasons, actually, maybe they might, and we'll talk about that later. But um, this game was still probably, I mean, Kansas made it close a few times, but really, as Jay Billis said, and I think I actually said this on the last podcast because it was a prediction game of mine, it was never really a game at all. So, uh, look, Kentucky did a great job going on the road. Beating Kansas in a hard to in a hard place to win at, uh, and they played a very good game. But uh, moving on from that, Texas beat number eighteen Tennessee fifty-two to fifty-one. That was another game that I predicted actually, and I successfully predicted this upset. Uh, this was Rick Barnes's return to Texas. He was honored. It was a little bit nice, maybe maybe a little bit too nice. Maybe he got caught up and forgot to prepare for the game. Who knows? Uh, that was actually part of the reason why I picked Texas because I thought you might lose a little bit of the edge that, you know, a lot of teams normally have. You need to have a chip on your shoulder. Uh, you ask Auburn about it, and even as number one in the country, they still feel like they're underdogs somehow. So, look, everybody somehow finds a way. I mean, you talk about Nick Saban and his rat poison in football. It, everybody finds a way to motivate their team. And maybe it's hard to motivate your team when you've been taking pictures with fans wearing the opposite gear the whole week <laughs> when you're on the road. Uh, but moving on from that game, and by the way, Texas had their own uh, – coach stuff going on in their next game of the week, which we'll get to eventually. But moving on to another game in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, TCU beat number 19 LSU 77-68. TCU has probably the best record and resume of any unranked team. Uh, 
maybe with the exception of Alabama, they definitely have a better record. Alabama might have a slightly better resume uh, when it comes to the tournament. But TCU has a lot of good wins. Uh, I think they only have four losses on the year. They're 15 or 16 and four, and they've had some road wins in the Big 12, which are really hard to come by. And just overall, uh, they've just played a really good season. And I think uh, they haven't gotten uh, the recognition for it yet. But, you know, maybe they could beat one of the bigger, the, the bigger, more well-known teams in the Big 12, i.e. a Baylor or a Texas Tech, and then maybe they could or Kansas, obviously, and maybe they could start getting a little bit more recognition. Uh, but moving on from that, Creighton beat number 17, UConn, 59-55. to Fun fact, uh, first of all, this upset was on the road, and Creighton was, I think, double-digit, was a double-digit underdog coming into this game. UConn has never beaten Creighton in their team's history. There are three teams they haven't beaten also, one of them being Niagara, uh, of teams that they've played at least three times. Uh, it's just an interesting little fact there. And also interesting that UConn had never played Creighton before Creighton joined the Big East and U- and UConn joined back into the Big East uh, a few years ago. And Creighton beat them three times last year, which you know how hard it is to beat a team three times in the same year. Creighton beat them three times, even when UConn was ranked higher in every single one of those matchups. And yet again, unranked Creighton beating ranked UConn. Don't know what it is, but I guess it's just a little, it's a curse for UConn. They have to figure out how to get over the Creighton curse. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, Ole Miss beat number 25 LSU 76 to 72. This doesn't seem like that big of an upset uh, because, you know, number 25 losing to an unranked team. It might even be the quote unquote rankings extended 26 team. But the reality is Ole Miss is probably one of the worst teams in the SEC. And LSU was at home in this game. So it, when you factor those two things in and you realize that you go if you go a little bit deeper than the surface level of the names of the teams and the rankings, this is not a good loss at all. I mean, this is a terrible loss. I think this, I don't know if this is necessarily a quad three or quad four loss, obviously, because you're still talking about an SEC team, but it's definitely on the quad two, quad three border, and that's not something that you like to have uh, for your tournament resume. And really, LSU hasn't won a game in a long time either, uh, or at least it seems like they haven't. If they have, they probably won four, one and five in their last six, five or six games. So uh, they need to start playing better as we get down to crunch time. Uh, they're not really playing too well right now. But moving on from that, number 24, Marquette beat number 12, Villanova, 83 to 73. Uh, this wouldn't be that much of an upset. And it's interesting because Marquette went on the road last week and beat Villanova. But for some reason, they were five-point underdogs uh, going into this game, even though they had beaten Villanova on the road and they were playing them at home this time, they were underdogs. I can't explain why, but uh, Marquette proving that, hey, maybe they're just better than Villanova. And I think, frankly, I told you this off the podcast, everybody was talking about Marquette's certain doom after they were 11-7, and which is not a great record for mostly non-conference games. You know, they had a win over Illinois, so uh, but... Everybody thought that that win was more of a fluke after really seeing the rest of their schedule unfold. I mean, they play UCLA kind of close at home, but that was also after UCLA's plane got delayed for like eight hours and whatnot. So UCLA had all the bad circumstances they could have and still went on the road and beat them. Uh, So a lot of people were doubting Marquette, and I was too. And then they had six games in a row against ranked teams in the Big East with four of those games on the road. And everybody thought, well... This is the make or break. If you go two and four here, you're going to stay on the bubble no matter what happens, and you're going to have to win a lot of tough games down the stretch to get into the tournament field with not many quality opportunities remaining, or you're going to win a lot of these games, and you're going to come out as a pretty high-rated team. The one thing I think no one expected them to do in those six games, 
was go five and one and have the two and not lose to Villanova out of any of the losses. Actually, the only loss of that stretch is another game that we'll get to later. Uh, and they still have one game to go, I believe, in that stretch. But overall, I think they went four and one in it so far. And, and again, now they've been elevated to one of the higher seeds, probably six or a seven seed at this point. Uh, maybe even a five, actually. Yeah, more like a five seed at this point, especially with this win. So a road win at Villanova, a home win at Villanova. You know, it's crazy that I'm starting to talk about the tournament already, but it is February, so now we're only a month away, right? Uh, but Marquette playing well, really, like, just really well overall, and uh, honestly a strong contender to win the Big East, which is one of the stronger conferences this year. Okay, well, let's move from the upsets to the close games of last week, starting with a game involving your favorite team. Yes, number 15 USC beat Cal 79-72. to They are on this list twice, and they shouldn't be on this list a single time because they played two teams with losing records in the Pac-12, which means that they're very bad teams. Yet somehow cannot beat a single team by double digits. Um, And we'll move on from that. I don't need to say anything else. They need to beat Cal by more than seven if they want to keep this ranking. And by the way, spoiler alert, they didn't keep this ranking because of a loss they had earlier in the week. Uh, But moving on from that, number 20, UConn beat DePaul 57-50. Paul has stayed close with some teams, but UConn really just offensively challenged in this game. Uh, nothing more to say about that one. Uh, moving on from that, number six Purdue beat number six Ohio State, eighty-one to seventy-eight. This was on the road to being in the other important matchups category, and Ohio State came storming back. I already talked about this on the last podcast, so I won't go too deep into it. But they, Ohio State, was losing by twenty in this game, and actually came back and tied the game up. With five seconds left, until Jaden Ivey hit a buzzer beater, uh, and Purdue ended up with the win. But Purdue continues to look good, at least on offense. Obviously, giving up a twenty-point lead, probably something to say about their defense. And we'll get to uh, we'll get to what the metrics say about their offense and their defense later. But uh, moving on from that, number eleven, Wisconsin beat Minnesota sixty-six to sixty. You joke sarcastically about my favorite team, but this is the under the radar favorite team in in big quotation marks. I'm not a big fan of Wisconsin either for multiple reasons. Uh, But look, this team is also overrated and they've now overtaken USC as the most overrated team because actually, I'll spoil it a little bit, we're going to be talking about Ken Palm later. These two teams are sitting right next to each other at 27 and 28th in Ken Palm. They're ranked 11th and 19th in the AP poll. All I got to say about it, they're both not that good. Uh, USC... The 19th ranking is now probably actually where I feel like they are. I don't even feel like they're that overrated anymore. Now that they've been moved down a little bit, I think they should be unranked. But, you know, one of the teams in the others receiving votes category. But Wisconsin is just not a top 15 team. I can't name any other top... Frankly, let's go to top 11 because that's those are the only teams above them. None of the other top 10 teams would have only beat Minnesota by 6. They probably would have beaten them by 20. Uh, and that's evidenced by the fact of how much Purdue and other teams have beaten Minnesota by, uh, including how much Ohio State and Michigan State have beaten uh, Minnesota by themselves earlier in the season. So all I got to say about that, but yeah, Wisconsin is also an overrated team. But moving on from that, number 17, Providence beat number 23, Marquette, 65 to 63. Talked about Marquette on that big stretch of important games. This was the one game they've lost so far. And by the way, a really close game that they lost too. Uh, and can't really fault them much for it. I mean, they they lost this game by two. They were winning pretty much the entire game. The margin of the game was pretty much two or three points the whole way. So uh, just a close game throughout. Pretty much the opposite of the Purdue-Ohio State game where most of it wasn't close and only came close at the end with the end score. This game was actually Marquette winning most of it and then Providence just barely pulling it out in the end. But as we know, 
Uh, it's not about how much, how many, uh, how many minutes you spend in the lead. It's about who ends the game on top on the scoreboard. Uh, but moving on from that, number eight Baylor beat West Virginia, eighty-one to seventy-seven. Baylor again continuing to struggle a little bit. They were down in this game for a lot of it. You were you were watching this game with me. Uh, West Virginia easily could. I actually think it was on while we were <laughs> recording one of our pod, the last podcast. But um, West Virginia was really not not necessarily dominating Baylor, but they were playing pretty well against them on the road, and they they had a big lead. I think they were up eight or nine pretty late into the game, uh, and Baylor got it together, beat West Virginia. Uh, they did the same thing when they played them on the road. Honestly, they kept it a little bit too close, but there I, I think Baylor is just too good for a team like West Virginia to be able to beat, no matter how much of a lead they get off to. Baylor has to play really bad for a team like West Virginia to beat them, but. Uh, West Virginia is still a quality team. They're still in the caliber. They can beat teams that aren't necessarily, you know, top five in the country. Uh, and Baylor's ranking doesn't say they're top five, but they're probably closer to that than eighth. Uh, but uh, overall, not too surprised that Baylor pulled out the win, but they really got to stop keeping these games too close because it's going to come back to bite them if they play like this in the tournament. One team will get the lucky bounce or terrible foul call, uh, and that will <laughs> end, end their whole season. Uh, but moving on from that, Number 10, Kansas beat Iowa State, or number 20, Iowa State, 70-61. to uh, The most important thing about this game is that Kansas went on the road and won in the Big 12 against one of the top five or six teams without Ochai their player of the year candidate, and he was supposed to play the whole week, but then he tested positive for COVID and wasn't able to travel. Uh, so the other thing that I always have to say about it is it, it's not always... Whenever players miss games, it's not always about if the player misses the game. It's also about how much can you prepare for the injury? How much can you prepare for the guy missing the game? Do you know he's not going to be playing? Or do you think that he will be playing and then all of a sudden, the day before the game, he can't? Because that makes it a lot harder to prepare for. And that was the situation that Kansas was dealing with this weekend. Uh, not know, or This week, not knowing that Abaji would not be playing until basically right up until tip. Moving on to a team that didn't have any of those issues, uh, but maybe had a different issue. Number 13, Michigan State beat Maryland 65-63. to This was the typical letdown game after a big game. We'll talk about what big game they had in a second. Uh, but you kind of expected them to maybe, honestly, probably lose this game because it's hard to win in the Big Ten and Maryland is desperate for a win. But this is one of those games that it's really a trap game where you've just played a big emotional game and then now all of a sudden you have to play a team that you're thinking they're not really all that good. And Michigan State has had issues this year playing teams that actually aren't supposed to be that good. They've gone on the road and beaten Wisconsin. They got another important home win that we'll talk about. But then they lost at Illinois. I mean, yeah, it's at Illinois, but they, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Wisconsin, but beating Wisconsin at full strength on the road is a lot harder than beating Illinois without... Andre Corbello and without Kofi Coburn. With a full-strength roster, that Illinois game is harder, but without those guys on the floor, Illinois really isn't that great of a team, yet somehow they lost to them. Uh, so Michigan State also lost at home to Northwestern this season. So they've had they've had a habit of losing to bad teams and beating better teams. Uh, so it wouldn't be all too surprising for them to play a rivalry game that I can't I won't name yet, uh, and then go on the road at Maryland and lose this game. I wouldn't have been surprised. They pulled it out in the end because Malik Hall made a clutch basket, unlike the Illinois game where he actually missed the last shot of the game. He did get fouled, but then he missed the first free throw. Uh, and then when trying to miss the second free throw on purpose, he made it accidentally, which is kind of funny. Uh, but 
Uh, yeah, Michigan State, I kind of expected them to maybe have a little bit of a letdown. I would argue this was because they only beat this team by, because they only beat Maryland by this small of a margin, and most teams have been beating Maryland by a lot recently. Uh, but moving on from Michigan State and Maryland, let's go back to number 15, Providence, who beat St. John's 86-82. to I actually could have put this game in the upsets because I don't know what it is, but apparently Vegas does not know how Big East games work because St. John's was favored in this game uh, on the same night that Marquette was a five-point underdog to Villanova. Obviously, both of them won, uh, and Providence had already beaten St. John's earlier in the year, so I don't know how they turned around and were uh, underdogs here, and St. John's hasn't really... I also, you know, I tried to look at it and see if St. John's had been playing well recently, you know, pulling off upsets. They had lost three of their last four games. So I, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but Providence ends up coming out with this win. Again, Providence playing really well. They're one, how many teams in the country have two or less losses this year? I, I can think, the only other one I can think of off the top of my head is Auburn. And then I think Gonzaga. I, I don't think I can name anybody. Uh, yeah, no, I can't name anybody other than Auburn and Gonzaga who only have two losses. Uh, Providence joins those two. Uh, and Davidson actually took their third loss, so I, I really cannot think of another team. Oh, yes, I can. Murray State, that's right. The John Morantless Murray State Racers are actually uh, having a good year. I think they are the first team to get to 20 wins, but we'll get on. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them uh, when the tournament starts, I guess. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, number 22, Tennessee, beat Texas A&M. Speaking of teams with two losses, 90 to 80. A&M started 15-2. They are not still 15-2. They have now lost five games in a row, uh, now being at 15-7. and seven. Uh, I guess the, the the committee or the ranking, the AP poll people knew what they were talking about in terms of leaving a 15-2 and two SEC team out of the rankings uh, because now that they've started playing teams, they are not winning any games whatsoever. Uh, but Overall, uh, Tennessee, they've been, I, I think they're more respected by SEC coaches than they are respected by analysts and reporters, my, my, I mean, myself included. I don't really think Tennessee's as good as they get credit for. I mean, I heard Bruce Pearl talking about their uh, Auburn's chances to win the SEC, and I was thinking, they said, what are your challenges? And I think he was going to, I was thinking he was going to mention LSU and Alabama. I mean, they had just beaten Alabama, but it mentioned Kentucky, obviously, and the first team he mentioned was Tennessee, and I was like, are they really that good? Because I don't see it, but moving on from that, uh, number 21, Xavier beat Butler 68-66. You know, I'll give them the same treatment that I give USC. This game should not have been that close. Butler is not that great. This is a home game, uh, and Xavier shouldn't have made it that close, uh, but let's move on from that. Uh, number 19, USC beat Arizona State 58-53, and the craziest thing about this game I don't think was the margin. I think it was the fact that this was on the same night that UCLA was playing Arizona. And Arizona had a higher, I don't know how to say it, a higher spread in their favor, right? I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, over UCLA at home. Then USC did on the road against 6-13 and 13 Arizona State. Let that sink in. The number seven team, if you were to take betting spreads and take them into percent chances to win, Arizona, the number seven team in the country, had a better chance to beat number three UCLA, who had just beaten them by 16 two weeks ago, than the number 19 team in the country did over a 6-13 and 13 team. Everybody has now caught on to the fact that USC is terrible, so I don't need to say anything about it anymore. That's right, I'm done with the USC thing. Don't worry, they'll lose next week and become unranked, and that's the last time I'll ever have to mention them. But, uh, yeah, that's all on USC. 
All right, well, let's, uh, that's all for our close games. Let's move to some other important matchups. Well, the matchup I tried to stay away from talking about, but that happened, the high-emotion matchup. Number 10, Michigan State beat Michigan 83-67. to That was the rivalry game I was talking about, or, well, not talking about, trying to avoid, uh, but that's what led to the Maryland letdown. But Michigan State played really well in this game, and uh, look, they, they, they deserve to be a top-10 team, in my opinion, um, and I think... Just overall, they're going to probably stay around the top 10 or top 15. They have their flaws. Um, They'll lose some games like all Big Ten teams will because of how hard the conference is in general. Uh, But look, Michigan State's a good team. They'll make it as probably a top three or four seed in the tournament, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. But moving on from that, number one, Auburn beat Oklahoma 86-68. to You got to mention the games of number one. I know I haven't talked about Gonzaga basically at all because all their games are, well, Unless they're playing BYU, San Francisco, or St. Mary's, all the other teams aren't that good. Uh, so I really have an excuse because they're not even important matchups. Uh, but Auburn played really well. Oklahoma's a tournament team, and they just completely dismantled them. And I think this is the thing about Auburn. I don't know who's going to go to Auburn and beat them. I don't think there's a single team that could beat them on the road this year. Uh, I think Kentucky was one of the teams that had one of the best chances kind of knowing their style the most and being the second best team in the SEC. But they didn't end up doing it. They had some injuries in that game that we talked about when they played. But look, if they can't do it, I don't think anybody can, honestly. Uh, but Auburn's really just that good. But let's move on from that. Number 21, Xavier beat Creighton 74-64. to uh, Creighton had played decent. I mean, they had that road win at UConn, but this game, not so much. Uh, but let's move on from that. Number 9, Duke beat Notre Dame 57-43. to only reason I wanted to mention this game is because when Duke is not playing in close games or losing, we haven't talked about them much. But I have to say, this is a good team for Coach K to go out coaching because I really feel like this team has a chance to be something special. I don't think they're necessarily, they're not my main candidate to win the tournament. But if there were ever a team that I think, it, it, it feels like a real, it just feels like it's Duke again, if that makes sense. I think the last two years they weren't that great. But this year it feels like they're finally back to, to what, they, the, what they've been recently, and I just think overall, uh, I think they're, they're going to be good when, when it comes down to the end of the season. I, I see them easily as making the Elite Eight. Obviously, when you get to the game to make it into the Final Four, you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to be playing an 11 seed that's been playing well like UCLA last year. You never know if you're playing a 6 seed that's easy to roll over like USC when they played Gonzaga last year. Uh, I don't know where Duke's going to end up in that mix. But I could easily see they, they're at least a second weekend team at, at, at best national champions, for sure. Uh, and I think that's a good thing that Coach K is going to get to go out on a good team. Unlike, you know, Roy Williams in the eight seed of North Carolina last year, I think it's a fitting end to his career that he's going to have a dominant team that's going to win the ACC by a mile uh, to end it all. Uh, but moving on from that, number one, Auburn beat Alabama 181 in the basketball version of the Iron Bowl, uh, exacting some revenge for football. Uh, this could probably be a future trend that Auburn continues to lose every single game uh, in football and wins every single one in basketball when you look at the way these programs are going. Although, you know, Alabama's uh, Alabama's basketball program is also doing pretty well. But I do have to say, if anybody's read any of the reports about the football program of Auburn, you would know that uh, they are not looking like they're going to win an Iron Bowl in, a, in any near future. Uh, but let's move on from that. Number 14, Texas Tech beat Texas 77-64, to 64. I talked about Texas' issues with the motivation of uh, playing, uh, or, or sorry, Tennessee's issues playing at Texas. Well, 
Chris Beard was not exactly uh, the most uh, likable figure in Lubbock um, on on this night. And uh, Texas Tech, as a team, treated it as such. And they really went out and actually does say unranked Texas. I think they're actually ranked number 23 now after that win over Tennessee. Uh, But Texas Tech went out and proved that, look, Chris Beard, we don't like you anymore. Uh, You took us to the Final Four. We've never been to the Final Four before. You took us places our program could never go. And then you decided that you would rather go to a team that hasn't won a tournament game in, what, like 10 years or something now? Uh, Doesn't seem like the smartest thing, but, you know... Texas pays more, obviously, than Texas Tech. I have a bigger athletic department, and uh, overall, uh, I think Chris Beard is happy with his move. However, Texas Tech definitely got the better of Texas in this game, and honestly, might be the better basketball program long-term because the fact that they transitioned into a new coach this quickly and they're actually better than they were last year, it's a pretty good sign for the future. Uh, But moving on from that, number 18, Illinois, Beat overrated number 11, Wisconsin, 80-67. to This is sure to tank their ranking a little bit. Maybe they'll be actually fairly rated now. Uh, but Illinois played a good game, uh, beat Wisconsin pretty easily. There's not really much to say about it because it wasn't a blowout and it wasn't a close game either. So I honestly kind of expected Illinois to win maybe even by more than this. Uh, but Kofi Coburn's just too much for Wisconsin to deal with. They don't have... The one thing that I always look at with a Big Ten team is, do you have a center? Because this conference has easily, probably, you could argue six of the seven best in the country. Maybe the only argument of anybody else who could be better is Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren on Gonzaga. But if you take Gonzaga out of the picture, Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis, I mean, take last year and you put Luca Garza in there too. But Kofi Coburn, uh, Travion Williams, and Zach Eady on Purdue, the list goes on and on. I probably forgot someone who's ridiculous, but look, the Big Ten has so many good centers in it, and there's no way that you can be a good Big Ten team without having a dominant center. Wisconsin has normally had the dominant center and and had, you know, some questionable guard play outside of it. This year, they don't have the dominant center. They actually have one of the better guards, that being Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis is great, but I don't think he wins you many games in the Big I mean, he gets you to be a really good Big Ten team, but he can't get you to be a top-quality Big Ten team because, look, I, they did beat Purdue, but Jaden Ivey is probably better than than Johnny Davis, and then Purdue also has the two monsters on the inside, and they're not the only team that's built like that. And overall, I just think Wisconsin has a pretty good build to be a good team, but I actually feel like, for once, they're not in the right conference, it seems like, this year. I feel like they're geared to be in the Big 12 where there's a lot of defense played and some good guard, maybe more good guard play, but that's just me. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know why I went on that tangent, but, you know, Wisconsin, not exactly the ideal team, in my opinion, to be a top 15 team, and I don't think they'll stay there for much longer. Uh, but moving on from that, two teams that, actually, two teams that will definitely stay as top 15 teams. Number seven, Arizona, beat number three, UCLA, 76 to 66. I could have called this a close game. It, it probably was a close game. Uh, the end score doesn't say that much, but... Arizona kept this game uh, pretty much in their control, almost all of it. I I don't remember UCLA leading that much, if they ever did. Uh, It was still a close game throughout it, but Arizona came out with the strategy of going to their big men early and often, and they continued it all throughout the game. Umar Balo, Christian Coloco, and really everybody, Azulis Tabellis too. Uh, And then, you know, I talked about all their big men, but the reality is Arizona has two guards that people think will be in the NBA at least well, for Benedict Mather next year, but for Jay, for Dalen Terry, probably this year or next year, honestly. Uh, but look, 
They have NBA quality guards with great centers who are really, really, really good shot blockers, and they have three guys that they can rotate in that can play center against any other center in the country. They're just a really well-put-together team, and I don't know who's going to be stopping Arizona. They also have good three-point shooting, too. I mean, they're one of the teams that I think kind of after they they had a really hot start, they kind of just eased through their schedule, and other than the loss at UCLA, which they've now kind of evened up, I, I think no one's really been talking about them enough. They're a really good team. Okay, well, that ends our look back at the past week of college basketball action. Now let's pivot a little bit and look forward. As you mentioned earlier, we're in February. NCAA tournament starts next week. Um, and as Next we, week? Sorry, next month. Uh, I wish. Yeah, we wish. We, well, football's over next week, so we're, we want to accelerate the timetable and, and get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree tournament. with that. But, uh, sorry, unfortunately, we don't have those powers. Um, looking forward to next month and the start of the NCAA tournament, uh, as we've discussed in the past, Ken Palm ratings have been a good way to identify potential NCAA basketball champions. And now that we're into February and a month away for the tournament, thought maybe we would revisit that metric and what it means for this year. Yep. Well, 18 of the last 20 champions have been top 20 in both Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency uh, at the end of the tournament. The exceptions are 2014 UConn, which was ranked 39th in offensive efficiency, number 10 in defense. And, uh, well, fun fact about that UConn team, they were also the number seven seed, and they were playing number eight seed Kentucky, who also wasn't top 20 in both of those categories. Uh, but actually, still surprisingly high rated for seven and eight seeds. They were both in the top 14 overall. Uh, but look, no, no seven seed is going to be ranked top 20 in both things of a metric. Otherwise, they'd be ranked a lot higher. Uh, but surprisingly, last year's Baylor team, who was ranked number two in offense, and even with Davion Mitchell, who was regarded as the best defender all last year, 22nd in defense. Uh, but again, didn't miss that much, didn't miss that mark by much. And also, they were actually top 20 going into the tournament, I believe. And if you listen to our podcast last year, they were not honorable mentions in that in that category. They were top 20 in both almost all of the year until the very end. Uh, but with that in mind, let's take a look at this year's title contenders according to Ken Palm, starting with actually the first six overall teams who are all balanced and great, according to Ken Palm. Number one, Gonzaga overall in Ken Palm ratings. Number two in offense, number 17 in defense. Then you have Arizona, who's number two overall, number 13 in offense, number five in defense. Baylor, number three overall, number five offense, number 16 defense. A really similar makeup to what they had last year, honestly. Uh, you have Kentucky, who's number four overall. They have the number four offense and the number 19 defense. You have Auburn, who's number five overall, number nine offense, and number 11 defense, very balanced. Houston, who's number six overall, number 12 on offense, and number 12 on defense. UCLA, who's number nine overall, number 18 on offense, number nine on defense. And Duke, number 12 overall, no main strength. They're number 16 in offense and number 14 in defense. So not top 10 in either category, but top 20 in both, which is apparently all you need. Uh, overall, I got to say, if you were to give me the tournament field starting today off of everybody who's in it, and you were to say, these guys are the field, I'm taking these guys. One of these teams is probably going to win the tournament if nothing changes between now and and the tournament actually starting. I've talked about Auburn as one of my favorite teams, and according to Ken Palm, which is, does a pretty good job of predicting who the these title winners are going to be, if you look at it over the years that it's been a thing for the last 20 years, Almost all of the champions are number two or number one if they were a one or two or even a three seed entering the tournament. Um, and even teams who were lower seeds that made the final four. I mean, a great example of it in terms of a recent example, USC last year, who was a six seed, 
was actually number five overall in Kempom by the end of the year. So, in, and you know, there's not much, there, there's only three or four games in the tournament that they had to increase that over. And it's overall and it's adjusted efficiency over the whole schedule. Uh, so they can even predict teams like that who are going to be upsets and, and come through in the tournament and play really well. Uh, and they have predicted some of them for this year. Uh, but look, Gonzaga, I think, has been the preseason favorite. UCLA was in the Final Four last year. Baylor is the, nas- is the reigning national champion. Uh, Arizona has taken over UCLA's crown for the best Pac-12 team. Then you have Kentucky and Auburn who are jockeying for number one in the SEC, and I would argue most people think of them both as really good title contenders because they both have a lot of talent, uh, and, and they also have the experience. And, you know, for Kentucky, really a really well-respected coach, uh, for Auburn, Bruce Pearl probably doesn't get the respect that Coach K that Coach K or Coach Cal Perry gets, but has been running a good program and a program that made the Final Four re- actually more recently than Kentucky did, as far as I remember. Um, and then you have Houston, who, well, they made the Final Four last year also. So actually, every single Final Four team from last year in this uh, in this group of eight teams that are in these two unique uh, elite categories, and then also. Duke, Auburn, and Kentucky, who are new entry, and Arizona, who are teams that have been trending this entire year towards title contention. And really, I don't know, would would you pick any of the, if you had the opportunity to pick out of these eight or the field, would you pick the field or would you pick these eight? Oh, well, these eight or the field, that's, it's usually like pick one team or the field. But I'm saying if, yeah, in terms they, of does this stat hold up this year? Yeah, the only team that, uh, that, that, that I see um, that's not there, well, there's a couple teams uh, maybe we'll let you talk about them in your honorable mentions. But there, I, I could see a team like Illinois maybe putting it together and making a run with a dominant player. Um, we've talked about Purdue, but maybe we go to your honorable mentions in the field. Yeah, and uh, there, there are a lot of honorable mentions there. And actually, Illinois is one of those teams who I, I actually didn't put them in the honorable mentions category. But they're actually top 16. Uh, they're, they're 16th overall. And they're 19th in offense and 27th in defense. I didn't put them in my honorable mentions because I was actually going to go into teams that are elite in one category and terrible at the other. Uh, but Illinois, if they, I mean, look, if Illinois down the stretch beats beats all the teams that they have to play, beats Purdue, beat, beats the good teams of the Big Ten, they'll actually probably end up there eventually because they're going to need to play some better defense to get a good record. And if they enter the tournament as a three or as a two or three seed playing as they can, they probably actually will end up in the top 20 because they're only seven slots off of it. Uh, but that, that's a good team. That I, that's a good mention there. And uh, the other honorable mentions, one of the teams that I think is actually a really strong title contender, uh, Purdue, who's number seven overall. They're number one in offense and number 93 in defense. Shocking. Uh, it's shocking, especially because they're a Big Ten team. And Big Ten is... And they have a shot-blocking presence. And- they, yeah, they have a really good shot-blocking presence. But... You know, you talk about shot-blocking presence. Purdue is actually an exact clone of Iowa last year, honestly. Uh, Iowa with Luca Garza, a dominant big, a lot of shot, a lot of shot uh, rim protection there, and they're a Big Ten team. And Iowa entering the tournament last year, I think, was number one in offense and something like 80th in defense. And in the end, they gave up like 100 points to Oregon on like 60% shooting, and that's how they exited. It, it, it that, that happened to them. Last year, they were at the end of the year, number three in offense and number 75 on defense. So not too surprising. They're kind of produced kind of a clone of that team. And uh, I'll actually talk more about Iowa later. Uh, but Villanova, number eight overall, number six on offense, number 21 on defense. 
and I'll talk about the next team for a second before I go back into those two. Kansas, who's number 10 overall, number three on offense, number 46 on defense. Those are the two that make me question if he might take the field, honestly, because Villanova is just barely is one slot off. And you have Kansas, who also has a high-flying star, and they're really good, too. I mean, Kansas and Villanova and Purdue also are all really good teams. And then I think also when you throw Illinois into that mix, you take those four as maybe known title contenders plus the possibility that we have one of those weird years where there are 10 seeds and 11 seeds in the Final Four. And maybe that would make you take the field, but for now I'm still sticking to the to the people I mentioned before. But uh, both those teams very good. Then you have Texas Tech, also number 11 overall. Very strong defensive team, number three in the country, but 54th on offense. LSU, who hasn't been playing well at all recently. And the reason why they haven't been playing well recently, their offense is terrible. Uh, number 15 overall, but number 119 in offense. There are a lot of teams who you wouldn't expect to be ahead of them that are ahead of them. And, I mean, overall, that's probably going to be what ends their season. Uh, but they are the number one defense, so they do get some credit for that. They're kind of like the Texas Tech team that made it into the Final Four uh, many, many years ago with Jared Culver. However, that team actually, surprisingly, when you look back at Ken Palm, was actually top 20 in offense, too. So even if it didn't look like it, they actually were. Uh, but moving on from that, talked about them last year. Uh, Iowa is number 22 overall, number seven in offense. They're number 108 in defense. It seems like their make every year is always a good offensive team and a terrible defensive team, uh, no matter who's on the roster. But I have to say, People don't give enough respect to Iowa whatsoever, and people also don't give enough respect to Keegan Murray, who is not putting up Luka Garza numbers, but he's about as close to it as you'd think someone could be, especially as a power forward, and he also will probably be a lottery pick in the upcoming draft, so keep that name in mind when you talk about the tournament as a maybe a Cinderella story when they're a six or seven seed is probably where they're looking at making the tournament. Uh, but moving on from that, let's go really off the radar these are your 10s and 11 seeds that are going to give a three seed some trouble who's a little bit offensively challenged. Uh, frankly, I look at these honorable mentions and I look at a team like Texas Tech and I say, you're 54th in offense and third in defense. Your defense is great, but what happens when you play San Diego State? San Diego State's number 35 overall, not getting much love. They're a bubble team. They're in my last four in. Uh, and actually, they might even be out of the tournament by tomorrow. Uh, but Overall, they're a good team. They're probably going to make the tournament, I, I would assume. Maybe not. But they're number 200 in offense. They have no offense whatsoever. I called LSU a bad offense. That's a really bad offense. But they're number two in defense. So when you get to the tournament, and all of a sudden, you know, it's all about hot shooting. The way they play defense, if they just get lucky for one weekend that they're shooting well, they might just find themselves in the Sweet 16 as like a 10 or an 11 seed. And don't be surprised if it happens. Uh, and another team, actually three more teams that are kind of like that, uh, VCU, number 85 overall, also a bubble team. Uh, number 294 on offense, but number four on defense. So a strong defensive team again. Iowa State, who's number 25 overall, number 121 in offense, probably one of the worst offensive teams in the Big 12. But as the Big 12's identity, uh, it goes towards number six in defense. Uh, one of the better Big 12 defenses, even though all of the Big 12 is good defense, uh, as we've seen. I mean, Baylor... Well, Baylor's only 16th, but, you know, Texas Tech is number three, and that's typically how that conference has gone. I think their whole conference is top 50 in defensive efficiency, and Kansas used to be, uh, and really Kansas is the limiting factor there, but obviously they're a really good team. Then you have Boise State, who's actually more of a guarantee to make the tournament than VC or San Diego State, hanging at a good position. 
uh, in that same conference that San Diego State is in. Number 30 overall, number 135 on offense, but number seven on defense. Look, all I'm saying is that I'm just going to put those four names out there. I don't think they're actually going to do anything. However, if they get the right matchup, it's very matchup specific, but if they do get the right matchup, I could easily see those teams, if you're looking for 11 and 12 seeds to pick come tournament time, and they've been playing well recently in their conference tournaments, pick those teams because they will be the ones to make first round upsets because it's always the teams that have a strength. It's never the teams that are kind of all over the place or they're balanced. The teams that get upsets always have a very niche thing that they do well that just somehow gives another team trouble. I don't know how Boise State plays suffocating defense, but however it happens, it might give problems to a team like LSU or Texas or Texas Tech who are offensively challenged teams that are still high-rated high teams. And, and, you know, you never know if LSU is a 6 seed or a 5 seed and these teams are 12s or 11s. Take the defensive team. You never know. They always say defense wins championships, right? So uh, I'm just saying I'm throwing it out there now. I'm not I'm not going to be predicting them making, to make upsets depending on the matchups. But if you see the right matchup, I would say pick it. All right, well, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this metric in uh, future podcasts as we get closer to the NCAA tournament. But that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 7th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, have a look back at the week's NBA action, and talk about other important news from the world of sports. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and his updated NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which is posted on Saturdays. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.